I think that communicating what I wanted and when I wanted it and working towards achieving it in a timely manner was really what made me successful in that role and still was able to carry on and have good relationships and very good relationships with the other people that I work with. So I think it's just to be very clear what you want when you want it and, and to communicate your goals and also to solicit feedback on things that you need to improve on is just a really smart way to work towards those. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Hi. This is Will Slickers with Hospitality.fm, and we would love to hear your thoughts about this podcast and what draws you to continue to listen or to even start listening in the first place. If you could fill out the survey with the link in the show notes, we would love your feedback. And now, back to the episode. All right. Welcome to another edition of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I am very excited to have my friend Mary Rogers, the general manager of the Montage Hotel Laguna Beach here with us. Mary, thank you for being on the show today. Of course, Steve. It's so good to hear from you again, and I'm so happy for your success. Thank you for having me. What an honor. I appreciate it. So we always start with the first question is, how did you get started in this beautiful industry of ours? What was your first job in hospitality? Yes, it is a beautiful industry. You're so right. So I grew up in Ireland. I'm one of eight children, and I grew up on a farm in the west coast of Ireland, And we came from simple beginnings and simple beings. And when I needed to have some extra cash or if I needed some pocket money, I needed to get it myself, quite frankly. So at the age of 13, I got a summer job working in a bed and breakfast in uh, the coastal town where I'm from. And I worked Mm -hmm. there for five summers working in that bed and breakfast, just doing serving breakfast in the morning, cleaning the rooms, greeting the guests, helping them arrange certain things on their vacations. And from that experience in five summers, the lady that I worked for, she actually ironically was the one that told me that I should study hotel management and go into hospitality because quote unquote, she said that I was good with people. And I had never thought about it before, quite honestly, but after she shared that with me, I applied to study a hotel and catering management in college. And uh, four years later, I graduated with a degree and headed to the United States. So that's my journey. It really started at the age of 13, unexpectedly. 
something that I never thought that I would do, but of course, um, I'm very happy that the journey working on my summer job took me to where yeah. I am today. So how big was that bed and breakfast? Because I want to tell yeah. you the story later on, but how big was yeah. that place? Of course, she had, it was, there was four bedrooms upstairs in the guest house. And then down below, it was like a three level home. There was like two, almost like apartments. So let's say six rooms for the sake of this discussion, six, seven rooms. Do you remember like your first kind of day walking in there as a 13 year old to work for the first time? What, do you have that? Yeah, memory? It, it's funny because she was like, okay, just go serve these guests the breakfast. I was like, where do I go? It was kind of like, yeah. you, you, you think back of when we have new team members and new associates and we don't train them. That was definitely me. I was, I was scared and I was like confused, but fortunately with time I got it very quickly, but it was exciting because I'll tell you the part that I love the most serving those guests that morning, you ask them how they're doing or where they're from. And they tell you that they're from all over the world. And I got to meet all these amazing people that were traveling from the United States or they were coming from Australia or other parts of the country. And it was just really exciting. So it was, it was something new. And, and obviously um, talking to the people from around the world was really exciting for me. So it was good, but yeah, certainly I was nervous that first day or even that first week because I hadn't, I really hadn't a clue what I was doing. I bet 13. I don't know what I was. <laughs> I definitely wasn't working. Maybe collecting some basketball cards and selling to friends. And a funny thing, Steve, about that. So I took this job and I worked, this is a true story. I worked seven days a week for the entire summer. <laughs> and I just, I honestly, I just thought people worked seven days a week. That was the, my thing. I used to, I worked every single day and I just didn't know any different, quite honestly. So for five summers, I worked every day of the summer for seven days a week. So it definitely taught me a lot about work ethic. I can tell you that. Yeah, you see, they got us brainwashed early in hotels. That's I how know, it goes. Totally, <laughs> totally. So you're you go to school for it, you find that you love it, right? Yes. Then you get out of school. Do you have a job right away? Or are you working while you're in college? Yeah. Or? No, great, great question. I really didn't work while I was in college, just simply because of the workload and some of the projects that we're working on. But the last semester of my fourth year in college was a four-year degree. We got an opportunity to study the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. And I remember studying about Horst Schultz's philosophy on ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen and how they treat right. each other. And I was thinking, oh my God, if I'm going to work in this industry, I want to work for the Ritz-Carlton. And fortunately, we got the opportunity to interview because Ritz-Carlton came to visit our schools. Most of the hotel companies would come in and interview the hotel students. And when Ritz-Carlton came, I told them I wanted to work for them. It's the only company I wanted to work for. And they interviewed 75 of us at the time, and they selected three of us. And fortunately for me, I was one of them. They selected me to be a front office agent in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, which is a funny story because again, they had said to me, oh, okay, we're gonna accept you. You're gonna get a job in Tyson's Corner. And I was like, oh, that's wonderful. Where's Tyson's Corner? And they were like, Tyson's Corner is in Virginia. And I said, wow, that's great. Where's Virginia? So as a, a young student studying hospitality management in Ireland, I hadn't a clue where I was headed off to, but two weeks after graduating, I took my two suitcases and headed to Tyson's Corner, Virginia, where I spent four years working for the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company before I transferred to Orlando. I was with them for about 10 years total. So, so yeah. When you went to Virginia, had you ever left Ireland really to travel to the United States? Or was that yeah. your first? I, I had never been to the United States before. I had traveled and I did internships when I was in college. I did one in London and I did one in Munich in Germany. So I had certainly been away from home doing my internships while I was in hospitality school, but I had never been to the United States before. So 
I landed at Dallas Airport and um, I guess the rest is history. I've never been back. That was 22 years ago. Wow. wow I'm, get, I'm getting old. <laughs> Time flies. So when you <laughs> land in Virginia, so you get to Dallas, you go to Virginia. First uh-huh. time really United States. What was your first job there? Um, I worked at the, the front desk. Yeah, I worked so What was it like walking into this country, really in the South? Very unique place. What do you remember yeah. about that first job? It was amazing. I just thought it was amazing because I mean, the first of all, was I was working for the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company and they had a tremendous training program. So before you start work, you go through a, a very extensive orientation. And honestly, I was just so ridiculously excited and happy and everything was so new and so big. Everyone was so friendly. It was really, it was a powerful experience and I couldn't have asked for a better place to start on in the United States. So, you know, but slowly and surely we figured out how to get our apartment and figured out how to get a car, but it was a great place to start. And again, I can't imagine having started anywhere else because everyone was so kind and caring. And it was a, it was one of the Ritz Carlton's that was very familiar with the internship program. They had had received many interns throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, they were very familiar with the J1 program that came through the hotel. So they were very accommodating and they were very gracious and, and helpful. So yeah, it was a great experience. You had a, a long journey, but you mentioned the training. So everyone I've talked to at Ritz-Carlton that's worked there for some time still has the credo memorized and some still had their card with them. I was at the Lowe's and they were still carrying the card with them. Are you pulling out your card right now? Yes. The it's, listeners, it's a, she's yes. at her desk in this beautiful office looking for her credo card. It's, it's amazing. Here. Don't worry. It is. It's I, When I left Ritz-Carlton, I was with them for 10 years. They framed it for me and I carry it with me everywhere in, in the frame. And it's at my, it was in my office for my last job for 12 years. And it sits with me now because it's just, it, it really, I was so fortunate to have my foundation in hotels begin with the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. And it just stays with you. And it really, while I'm not there and I'm not a part of the hotel company now, it really is the foundation. I think that set me up for success. So I owe a lot to it. Just oh, we have a lot of friends that all work there during the kind of same similar time as you. And they say, well, it's not the same now, but back then I, it was the, the place to be. And I, I never had that chance. So part of me sometimes a little jealous of all the Ritz-Carlton. It's uh, never too late, Steve. It's never too late. <laughs> no, 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 I'm good Although, now. I think you're better now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what was your first management job at the Ritz-Carlton? So you used to front desk. How did you transition into a, the manager role? Yeah, so great. So I tell the story a lot. I was working at the front office as a front desk agent. And I used to see all of these ladies that worked for Ritz-Carlton in suits. And they all passed by. They had beautiful suits on and their lovely heels. And they'd all be carrying a pad folio, which I guess probably listeners don't even know what that is now. They all have iPads. But anyway, so I would see these ladies and I was like, wow, they're so glamorous. What do they do? And they, the others that I work with, they're like, oh, they're convention services managers. They handle all the groups or they do the catering. And I was like, oh my God, for sure, I want to be a catering convention services manager. And so I went to the director of catering convention services. I was a, a lowly front desk agent. And I said, I want to do this job. And she's like, okay, sure. She's probably heard it a million times. And she's like, if you do this training, and she pulled out the sheet, and she's like, if you do this training and, and get back to me, we'll consider you for a position. And lo and behold, I did the training. It was go to the banquet kitchen and, and set up breakfast with them and go to work in the banquets department and set a room set and go talk to the banquet chef and figure out. So there was this long list of stuff. And over a course, a period of time, I, I completed the training and came back to her and she was like, blown away because 
no one had ever actually done it before because she's like, you know, in order for you to do this, you need to do all this training on your own time, whatever the case is. And fast forward, I was very fortunate to be able to select it into her team. So leaving the front office and reservations, I went on to become a catering convention services manager. That was my first leadership job of operations. Yeah. In, in the same hotel? The same hotel. Yes. I joined, I, I became a manager. I think it was like a year, maybe 18 months after I joined and then I was there for two and a half years before I went on to open the Ritz-Carlton Grand Lakes in Orlando. Yeah. All right. So then you, you head to Orlando. What was the role there? What was the role you took oh, on? Yeah. So all of my career, majority of my career, I've always been in catering and convention services. So I, I became a senior convention services manager in Orlando. I was the assistant director of catering convention services at the Ritz-Carlton Grand Cayman. I became the director of catering convention services at the Ritz-Carlton Jamaica and at the Ritz-Carlton Lake Las Vegas. So I spent about 10 years total with Ritz-Carlton and about eight or nine of those years, I was always in catering and convention services. That's really sure. was my, that was really my road uh, up through operations. Some people do food and beverage, some people do rooms. I was all events and weddings and catering and craziness. So I know we all have favorite places that we've worked but in the Ritz-Carlton, you had the chance to kind of go around the globe. Mm -hmm. Was there a certain place that you enjoyed the most? Wow, that was just like a great time, a great team. Yeah, I would say it was the Ritz-Carlton uh, Lake Las Vegas, actually. And when I tell everyone that it was my favorite place where I've lived in the United States, people are always surprised at that. I think, obviously, I think a lot of us have perceptions of, you know, but Vegas as the Strip and all that good stuff. But I was off the Strip. The hotel I worked in was 17 miles east of the Strip. And living there was an it was really magical. It was a great place. It's so much to do in Vegas. I had an, an exceptional team. One of the reasons I had joined that team was they had rather low engagement scores in terms of guest satisfaction at the time. And mm -hmm. the team really did an exceptional job and, and got up to, to first and second place under my leadership, which was amazing. And we had a lot of fun doing that. And it was just a time in my life that was, it was really a lot of fun, but a lot of hard work, but it was, a, and it was also a great place to live. There's a lot to do in Vegas. So when you asked me that, having lived in the Caribbean, having lived in Orlando and in, in Virginia, I definitely would say Las Vegas was my favorite hotel, my favorite place that I lived. So what would you tell somebody coming up now? They want to be in that role, that director of catering and conference services, because a lot of people, they ask, they still, they see everyone's very glamorous walking around with now their right. iPads. They are all the coolest right. events. I want to do that. And not everyone knows what the job really is. What would you tell somebody coming up that says, that's what I want to do? I get asked this question all the time, but I tell people and I will repeat it until the day I die that Canadian Convention Services is an exceptional journey in hotels because you really learn everything. You learn the room side, you learn the food and beverage side, you learn the culinary side. And that's amazing. You have exceptional experience, but you also ask everybody in the hotel to do everything for you. So your relationship extension has to be extremely high because ultimately you you do the BEOs, you do the resumes and everything on there. You're asking others to do all the work for you. So you have to really have the gift of leadership to bring all of those entities together to pull off an exceptional event. So you need to be able to have a great understanding and relationship with the rooms division, the food and beverage people, the culinary team, bring everything together to pull off an amazing event. So it's honestly, I say this to anyone that will listen, if you can do catering convention service as well and do it for a long time with a great team, you will make an excellent hotel manager because it's really the same in terms of bringing everyone together towards a common goal. So it's, I feel, and I've always believed this, that 
coming out of that training and, and growing up in the industry, I really feel very blessed because I think it was the best training that led me to be successful where I am today. Yeah, you say that and it kind of triggered a couple of things. Everyone I've met that's successful in that role is all about the details, knows how to get things done, knows how to cover all angles and get yeah. people to achieve the goal. Because the ones that aren't, just, I don't want to help that person. It's direct being a food and beverage. I'm like, oh my, here comes this one again. That's exactly you know? right. So you're right. You have to have relationships and you have to be able to, you have to have the ability to motivate others to do the work for you. Instead of being a pain, you have to find a way to make them all work together and make right. sure the event is successful. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And and if you stay in Canadian Convention Services and you work your way through from manager to assistant director to director, you can really, if you have the drive, you can become an exceptional hotel manager GM because you have worked it all before, but it takes a lot. It's to work all those events and to survive them is really the key. All right. So now you're at the Ritz-Carlton. Yeah. The And we say there's only, I believe, a few iconic hotels in the world, but this one truly is. So the Fontainebleau mm -hmm. comes calling or you come knocking. How did that story no. happen? No, I was happily on my journey to train as a general manager for the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. And I got a phone call from the president at the time of, of Fontainebleau. And I had worked with him for many years again at Ritz-Carlton and he had shared with me that he wanted, he had just, he just joined Fontainebleau a few months earlier, six or seven months earlier. John Rolfs, Mr. John yeah. Rolfs. Yeah. He called me and he said that they were looking for a, you know, a senior director of catering convention services at the Fontainebleau and if I'd be interested. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm never leaving Ritz-Carlton. My blood is blue, all that good stuff. And he said, no, I understand that. Will you come and see the hotel? And I've never really been, I've never been to Miami, certainly never been to Miami Beach. I, honestly, I know that's crazy, Steve, but I hadn't even heard of the Fountain Blue when I got the phone call. Oh, no. Yeah, so I get, so, but I did, I accepted his invitation to at least come see the hotel. Mm -hmm. um, again, it was a very little intention of making the change. And lo and behold, mm -hmm. I went to Fontainebleau, saw the hotel, it was under construction, it was pre-opening in 2008. They were about to open actually, and I was just blown away. I was blown away with the operation, with the team that they had put together, and quite honestly, the owner's uh, vision for the property. He, Mr. Sofer is the owner of the Fontainebleau Miami Beach, and he had a very clear vision that he wanted to, to be a, a place of endless possibilities that where everyone and anyone could come and enjoy the resort and never leave. And I just knew, I knew without any doubt in the world that I had to be part of it and that this opportunity to work at Fountain Blue would really be the next step in my journey in hospitality. And it was just, it was an inner feeling in, inside my gut that I could not, I could not listen to. Mm -hmm. And that journey led me to spend 12 years, 12 amazing years with the Fountain Blue Hotel on Miami Beach. So I left Ritz Carlton after 10 and headed south down to Miami, which is, that was in 2000, January, 2009. That's unreal. So were you, you were there pre-opening, right? Yes. Yes. They had opened, they opened November 08. They closed for a little bit and I joined them right around, right in January of, of opening year. That is correct. That's amazing. So were you there part of that Victoria's Secret fashion show that had opened with a boom or were you yes. right after? <laughs> no, I actually, that was my interview weekend. So no wonder I took the job. Uh, I actually got to, I actually got to um, enjoy the show. I had a front row seatings and, and at the time Seal, who of course was married to one of the models at the time was sitting like 
two seats away from me. But yeah, I got to enjoy that amazing show that they put on. And again, as someone with an events background, I was just blown away by the fact that they had covered the pool and built this massive tent and turned off all the lights in the building to go live from the Fountain Blue for the Victoria's Secrets Fashion Show. It was a massive accomplishment that they undertook and they really did a great job. Yeah, I remember that clear. I remember when that yeah. was on. I was like, wow, look at this place. Because that hotel is why I started or wanted to be in hotels. I don't no, think I told I you didn't this. Know that. No, I didn't know that, Steve. So a gentleman named Paul Breslin, who was uh-huh. your he was hotel manager, uh-huh. was good friends with my dad. And my dad is an employment uh-huh. attorney. And uh-huh. I would just run around that hotel as a kid. And I was in the That's Frank Sinatra awesome. suite as like a 10-year-old. And I was like, man, this thing, this is amazing. I could watch any movie I want. He's like, yeah whatever you want. He's like, I'll take you down to the kitchen and you can make some cookies later. I was like, this is a magical place. I know. You know, that sounds like my daughters today. Just FYI, be careful. Keep them away from hotels. Your kids away from hotels. Oh, no, they love it. My daughter's like, when can we go to the cabana, please? I, I know. Right. <laughs> awesome. I don't think I saw the inside of a cabana for years. So yes. anyhow, to get back on track with you here, you're there, you start growing and then you transition out of catering. Yes. Right? Yeah, at the time, Fountain Blue opened and it opened with a bang, like we mentioned, the, the, the Victoria's Fashion Show. And then we had gone through, there was a tremendous amount of change and we went through a, a lot of different leaders and personnel. And in the front, first year, I was working in catering convention services at the Fountain Blue. And at the very beginning of 2010, so about a year after being there, the president said that he needed help in the rooms division and that I was going to oversee the rooms division. And I was like, well, that's not a good idea. I think it's a good idea. And I said, I don't even know what the housekeeping department is. So I'm not sure how you think I can oversee the rooms division. And he said, here's the situation. He's like, you will learn what the housekeeping department is and you will figure your way out in the rooms division. I need a leader and you're a leader and you're going to run the rooms division. And the very next day I started as vice president of rooms for the Fountain Blue. And wow. I went on, yeah, I went on to work and so I had the rooms division, then I had the security department, uh, and then I went on to have the condo hotel operation, human resources, where I became the vice president of hotel operations. And then after eight years, I became the general manager of the Fountain Blue. So in 2018, I was promoted to be the general manager, the first female general manager since 1954 which was uh, an amazing accomplishment, something that I'd always wanted to do before my 40th birthday. So I got to achieve that and also got to do it in a hotel that I loved dearly. So it was an amazing journey with Fountain Blue for 12 years. Uh, it's an, it really is an amazing journey because I was very proud of you. Like, you know, I've uh, known of you and we only really got to meet recently. I wish we had met earlier. I, I know. I'm very proud of watching you accomplish all that. So coming through hotels, people realize and don't realize there's a lot of politics involved and a lot of competition, even though you're on the same team, right? So yes. how did you navigate that kind of way to get to that GM, right? Because everyone competes for that top spot in these yeah. mega hotels. And believe me, we have and had amazing executives working at the Fountain Blue. And at the time, even they were all very capable and very successful and very competent in their own way. I was very clear. And for those hoteliers that are listening or the young people, hopefully that are listening, I was very clear about achieving my goals. And my goal was to become a general manager by the age of 40. And at the time I had communicated that to, you know, my, my boss and, and the ownership, it was really up to them if they were going to make it happen for me at the Fountain Blue 
or if it wasn't, I was, was comfortable making it work somewhere else. So I think it's important to communicate what your goals are and work towards them. And any of the shortcomings that they had shared that I needed to work on, if I needed to do a better job in revenue management, or if I needed to learn the food and beverage side a little bit better, which was all feedback I had received and certainly actioned, just really not being afraid to ask for what you want and going after it and just really navigating the waters through all of the other wonderful leaders that I would work with at the time. So when they had to make that decision, I know there was our, our vice president of sales and marketing was a, a wonderful, capable candidate. There was someone coming up on, on the culinary food and beverage side that was a wonderful candidate. But fortunately, I think that communicating what I wanted and when I wanted it and working towards um, achieving it in a timely manner was really what made me successful in that role and still was able to carry on and have good relationships and very good relationships with the other people that I work with. So. I think it's yeah. just to be very clear what you want when you want it and, and to communicate your goals and also to solicit feedback on things that you need to improve on is just a really smart way to work towards those. That's awesome advice. I think yeah. that's a lot of people can learn from doing that, being very clear what they want, right? Yeah, because like someone's going to call on me to be that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And especially in hotels, because like you said, Steve, there are very capable and comparable people that work there. So when you are surrounded with that talent and you do want to grow, I think it's important to make clear what your expectations and your goals are so that everyone around you can help you fulfill them. So I was very fortunate that um, did happen for me. So, and, and I had a wonderful boss that believed in me and, and really respected my goals and really helped me achieve them, which was amazing. So when you got that, they announced mm -hmm. it, and you sit yeah. down at your new desk for the first time as general manager, uh -huh. first female mm -hmm. general manager. Did you remember that feeling? Did you kind of soak it in or was it just like, hey, I've been here already and I'm going to keep running? No, no, <laughs> I really did. It's funny. I really did soak it in because it was a huge accomplishment for the hotel. The hotel had been open since 2008. So the hotel had been open 10 years and they had not had the, the position for a long time. So the fact that they had selected me to do the role, I was really honored and really, I felt really privileged. So I did. I, I soaked it in and... I really spent time obviously appreciating how far I had come personally and professionally and also really just took time to acknowledge those that helped me along the way. And then obviously, as we always do, then I started thinking how I was going to make a difference and how I was going to act differently in my new role because I come up through the hotel operation side, but I had a whole other area of the hotel that I was now responsible for and how I was going to lead that team and obviously continue to make sure the hotel was successful. Right. Cause that's something I've seen. That was my next question. So once you're in that role, really you're transitioning to more like the revenue management and sales and yeah. money into the hotel, right. And leaning on your other departments. Was there something mm -hmm. that really surprised you when you started that was like, wow, I didn't expect all this. It's interesting because again, coming up through hotel operations side, Steve, you, you're, you're the part that you're not necessarily involved in that component is the food and beverage side. The food and beverage side is, is obviously run by very capable and competent VP of food and beverage and culinary, and they did a great job. And I had necessarily not been very involved in that side of it, mm -hmm. even though I had, you know, done a lot of work through the years through banquets and came in convention services there. So honestly, the part for me that was, is it was a little different was understanding how food and beverage and culinary run. It's very different from the experience that I had growing up in hotels. Mm -hmm. So really getting my head around the food and beverage side of things was interesting, especially the fountain blue, because it is a massive component of the business. And it just runs very differently than hotel operations. The, the, 
the leaders think differently, they yeah. act differently, they they strategize differently, and then getting my head around that was probably the the most difficult um, part of it personally for me. The food, the revenue side, the marketing side, the sales and marketing side was all familiar to me. Obviously, I had a lot to learn, but I was more, I would say I was way more familiar with that side of the business than I was mm -hmm. on the food and beverage side. So getting used to that and how they all operated and functioned on a daily basis was a big adjustment for me. I spent a lot of time on it, quite honestly, because I, I it took me a while to understand that the the philosophies of those food and beverage people, quite honestly, those wonderful food and beverage people. Me, we're all a little crazy. And I like to say, yes. there's a little bit of black and white. It's very black and white in certain departments, but there's a lot of gray in food and yes. beverage. Yeah, right. and we're coming up to the room side, you know, there's like the room, it's just like you said, it's black and white and this is what it is. There's arrivals, departures, you're carrying the house, whatever it mm -hmm. is, and then food and beverage. There's a lot of gray on their day. So yeah. truthfully for me, learning the culture of running the food and beverage side of hotels was, was a big, was a big challenge and one that I really accepted and spent a lot of time focusing on. So, it, but it was amazing because learning it at the Fountain Blue was an exceptional opportunity and experience, but nice. yeah, it, it was different. Yeah, we work with a lot of artists, we say, right? Yes. So a lot of artists in that is beverage. A, that is a wonderful <laughs> way to put it, yes. Artists, if that's what you want to call them. That's okay. what I say. You're being an artist today, man. Get out of, get yes. out of here. Yes. Just go make yes. this happen today. So, so yeah, that good. was definitely a transition. And I would like, it's funny because you know, to tell the listeners, like my, I, I would come home at night and I would talk to my husband who grew up in food and beverage mm -hmm. and he thought I was crazy. And I thought he was crazy. Like it was, it's just very different thinking. Yeah. And it was hilarious. Some of the discussions we'd have, he'd be like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, no, seriously, what's wrong with you? And so it was funny. So now you're at top of the Fontainebleau. You're yes. at the, the biggest hotel, which is how many rooms? Like I always get confused. 1200 rooms. 1504. Okay. 1504 rooms. Keeps growing every time I talk to somebody. Fifteen hundred and four. So, well, it's, de it's definitely fifteen hundred and four. Actually, I can okay. tell you. I know that. Good. So, I've, so, so that to your point, I've come a long way from the bed and breakfast. Yeah, point. from the six rooms to the fifteen hundred and four <laughs> rooms with mega nightclubs and top of the world restaurants and giant yeah. pool and beach resort. Right. And now you've come to a new location, uh -huh. and tell us about where you're at now. Yeah, so just this past April, so April 2021, I joined Montage International. I joined as general manager for their Laguna Beach property, which is the first Montage that opened for Montage International in 2003. It's their flagship property. Mm -hmm. Mr. Freshman, who is the founder of Montage, Mr. Alan Freshman, had a vision that he wanted to create his own uh, hotel company, and he came here in 2002 and saw this beautiful piece of land and knew this is where he wanted to launch his hotel company and opened the Montage Laguna Beach in February, 2003. I actually got involved last January when they called me to consider taking the job as the general manager at this hotel. And I very politely declined the lovely headhunter who called me and thought he was crazy mm -hmm. for asking me to relocate my family to Southern California from Miami. And fast forward through continuous annoyance, I would say, the headhunter had asked me to take some calls with the leadership team at Montage. And I did. And again, they were all lovely and gracious and kind and all the things you want for someone who's soliciting a future employee. But I really was not interested in leaving South Florida. And I never had thought about leaving the Fountain Blue because I had very much enjoyed working there. And I had been there for 12 years, albeit 
thankfully in the last three years at that point, I had been in a relatively new role. So I was very comfortable where I was. And then last February, I believe, I they set up a meeting for me to meet Mr. Freshman in person. And again, he is the founder of um, wow. Montage and he flew into Fort Lauderdale and we had a, a two and a half hour dinner and it was the beginning of the end really because after meeting with him, I just knew I wanted to be part of his hotel company. He had started it from nothing and he had a very clear vision what he wanted in terms of service and how he wanted to treat all the associates and making sure that the locations that he selected were so unique with the best service and that they would become a world-class hotel. And at the time when I spoke to him, I think there was seven or eight hotels in their portfolio. Today, they've now got 12 and they're opening another, they're doubling in size in the next five to 10 years. So listening to him and talking to him and hearing his journey and his personal story, I just knew I wanted to be part of it. Similar to the feeling I had when I met Mr. Sofer and, and joined his hotel company 12 years earlier, I just, it felt right. And I was at a phase in my life where I could have easily stayed at Fountain Blue for another 12 years, but something inside me told me that the calling to join montage was probably the the right next move in my career and fast forward through lots of hard decisions and hard conversations and lots of personal growth myself in terms of this decision because it not only affected me it affected my team at the fountain blue but also my husband and my two daughters we just reflected this was the opportunity the next the right next opportunity for my career and I joined, left Fountain Blue after 12 years last April and joined Montage a week later, which was, has been a spectacular journey. It's definitely been an incredible, busy and venture-filled year, but certainly one that I know that is the right journey for my next hospitality career. So I'm very excited to to come up here in the next few months for my, my one-year anniversary with them and looking forward to what the future continues to hold as we lead this flagship hotel for Montage. So it's exciting. It's amazing that time flies that fast. I feel like you, I know. you, you just left. All right. But, I know. You know. It's been a crazy year. But listen, I will say, and I think I'm, I have to be very transparent with everyone, it was a tremendously difficult decision. As I shared with you, I was extremely happy and content and satisfied working for Fountain Blue and for Mr. Sofer. It was a wonder, it is a wonderful hotel company and I don't regret a single day of it. But for those that are in this crossroads or if anyone's listening, thinking about the next steps or thinking what, where you should go next, really is just to really look hard and deep at the opportunities that you're given and making, be not afraid to take a chance. And with the easier, the, the road less travel would have been easy for me to stay at the Fountain Blue, but definitely this was something that pushed me and pushed me outside my limits. And I'm glad it did because it's been an exceptional experience. And I definitely feel as a hotelier that I grow every day with this opportunity. And again, like I said, I look forward to continue to grow and learn and, and see what the future takes me with Montage International. I love that because there's so many people who are, they feel stuck and they're afraid right. to make a move sometimes. And you had the guts to really make a big move to, but to a beautiful place with a great company. Yeah, and so it is. it's great advice for anyone listening. Cause I know there's, you and I know a lot of people that I think are yeah. in those kind of shoes, right? The yeah. It's just very comfortable. Yeah, and I was very fortunate, Steve, John, I was very fortunate to have a wonderful support system in my husband because honestly, mm -hmm. the decision to relocate from Southern South Florida to Southern California was a tremendous decision. And just having his support and, and honestly, his encouragement to be brave enough to make the move was huge. So another piece of advice, making sure that you have that spousal support or that support at home to make sure because it's imperative to your success and to your the transition, quite honestly. 
I think that's great advice. So we all, I want to be cognizant of your time here. I know we've had a long journey with you and now right. you're at this fantastic hotel, but someone starting out, if you were to talk to Mary when she was 13, getting started in that bed and breakfast, what advice would you give her looking back after all these years? You know, it's interesting that this podcast session is called Mentors in Hospitality. And I love that because I really think that is the advice that I would give somebody. I feel personally, I have been so blessed to have so many people that have helped me along the way. Mr. Bobs, John Bobs, I mentioned him earlier, he called me to join Fountain Blue. And Mr. Phil Goldfarb, who ran Fountain Blue and Fountain Blue Development for many years, and and all the wonderful people in, in, in Ritz-Carlton that helped me along the way. And even now, as I mentioned, Mr. Alan Freshman, I feel like these are all mentors of mine and people that have really genuinely cared about my personal and professional growth. So if I was to give one piece of advice to the 13, 14 young hoteliers listening to this podcast is to really find somebody in the industry and to find somebody who you work with that truly cares about you, like I said, professionally and personally, and make sure that you learn everything you can, someone that you trust and someone that you're comfortable with, someone that you're not afraid to ask questions. That was something that I was so I was very fortunate that I was courageous enough to be able to ask questions when I didn't know what they were um, and to find those people that help you along the way and to find those mentors that will help you elevate you because the hotel industry is an exceptional industry. It is a gateway for travel. It is a gateway to meet and experience new cultures and people and it's a wonderful industry, but it's a tough industry and you need people to help you along the way. So my one piece of advice would be to find someone or some a few people that help you along the way and find your mentor because they will help you and guide you and they will bring you along more than you ever know because without them, it's not an easy industry. God, I love that. I think it's a great place to end our conversation. Mary, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm very grateful. If somebody wants to connect with you, is it LinkedIn? Is it social media yeah. somewhere? Is LinkedIn where? is perfect. Absolutely. Great. I'm right there. Mary Rogers under LinkedIn. I'm happy to help anyone, happy to mentor anyone. Steve, as it's so great. As you said, it's so great to catch off and connect again. I'm so happy for your success and your lovely family and continued blessing and success to you also. And you better come visit me here in Laguna. Oh, now I have an invitation. I'm definitely now, coming. <laughs> you got it. All right, Steve. I'll see Thank you Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.